0: Welcome to Jamming with Jason Mefford, a show where we discuss topics relevant to chief audit executives and professionals in audit risk and compliance. We discuss the technical and soft skills needed to navigate the minefields of organizations. You hear best practices and practical advice for helping you advance your career, and we'll even talk about music, mindfulness, and psychology because we can. So sit back and relax while you listen to the number one podcast in the world for internal auditors, unscripted and unedited. Well, I'm pleased to be joined today by my friend Norman Marks. And Norman and I have known each other for quite a while, Um, actually through OSEG. We're both fellows with OSEG and have been in the audit and risk space for a long time. And uh, Norman is a retired chief audit executive and chief risk officer at several different companies, um, but he's really a thought leader, um, one of the people that I really enjoy talking to, so I'm glad to be talking to you today, Norman. How you doing?
1: I'm doing fine. This is going to be fun, Jason.
0: <laughs> well, it is. It's kind of like, um, you know, over the years, it's like um, both of us say some things that are a little polarizing. But I, I, think, I think with you, sometimes we agree to disagree, but probably 90 to 95% of the time, we're like totally right in sync with uh, what each other's kind of saying. So, and like I said, it's, it's just kind of fun, fun to have you here. So maybe just give everybody kind of a little flavor of what you do, because I know you're retired, but as we've talked about, you're, you're probably as busier or busier now than what you would want to be in retirement, right? So, so what kind of stuff are you doing now? Because I know you've written a lot of books, you blog a lot, uh, but just kind of let people know what you're doing.
1: Yeah, so I finished my eighth book this year, which is on the title. The title is Making Business Sense of Technology Risk. Because a lot of what I'm about these days is why the traditional practices are not really working, Mm -hmm. whether it be internal audits or risk management. But when it comes to cyber, there's an awful lot of fear factor out there about um, breaches and how much they cost and how much they're damaging reputation, and yet we're not really understanding how the risk of what could happen, what could go wrong if you're breached, relates to the risk of bad economy, uh, the loss of customers, uh, quality problems in your manufacturing, and and simple questions for a board such as how do I decide whether to invest in cyber or new product development? Mm. And what's happening is that people are coming up with saying, well, the risk is high. Well, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. What does that mean to the business? And and it's really not helping. So that's a lot of of the many of the themes um, that I'm around, whether it be internal audit um, or risk management. So, for example, I was just talking yesterday to an organization where I'm going to be doing, uh, a workshop in Dubai mm-hmm. uh, for a company called Marcus Evans. They're having, a, they're having two conferences, one on strategic risk and one on internal audit, and they've asked me to do a full-day workshop and I'm going to be doing it on the topic of risk management that helps the organization to succeed. Mm-hmm. Because they said that this is in the Middle East and risk management hasn't really taken off in the Middle East, and my response was yes, because nobody thinks it actually helps them run the business well. Yeah. All it does is check the boxes and help you avoid failure rather than actually helping you succeed. And that's what I'm trying to do with both internal audit and risk management and, and things in general, which is why can't we just focus on helping people run the business better, whether it be through an internal audit that actually provides competitive advantage or which management that helps you make informed and intelligent decisions that lead to success, rather than focus on these things. And and as OSEC fellows, we're very familiar with this, Jason. Managing things in silos, Uh managing things for their own sake rather than managing things because they contribute to the success of the organization. Internal auditors don't see this. They're always trying to justify themselves by how many bad things they find. Mm-hmm. instead of whether they're helping the organization succeed. Yeah. And that's a mindset which it's gotta it's gotta has gotta have an, what we call an attitude adjustment. In <laughs> like a little kid slap him around a little bit and telling slap him around a bit a little bit and say, you don't justify yourself by finding things wrong. You're finding yourself by being invited by the CEO and by the board, by the top executives to be a fundamental element in helping to run the organization yeah i i, I love telling a lot of stories as you know jason you've, you've heard me speak many times and one of the stories i like to tell is uh, i was at a company i won't name it um i was having some difficulty and ended up firing its ceo um, curiously the the chairman of the board actually interviewed me To find out a little bit more about what was happening within the company in terms of its management style and and direction, um, which I felt was a great compliment, Mm -hmm. Uh, they ended up firing the CEO because he would not make the change that the board felt necessary to save the company. The chairman then became the CEO. Okay, he was appointed perhaps on a temporary basis, perhaps Parliament. He had actually been a former CEO of the company. Anyway. The week that he joined, there was something I wanted to talk to him about. So I just sent him an email and said, when you have time, I know you're busy right now, but when you have time, can we talk? 15 minutes later, he's knocking on my door. (laughs) He came to me because for whatever reason, he felt that if I had something to tell him, it was something important. Not something mundane and trivial that didn 't necessarily relate to the success of the organization, but I was focused on the things that matter to the organization and so I think we've got to get internal auditors we 've got to get risk people focus on how can we help the leaders of the organization discharge their responsibilities of governing and managing and leading the organization to, to in such a way that they actually increase the likelihood of success yep. rather than just doing the little job you see yourself as, as charged with doing and there's many aspects of that so that, that's what I'm doing um, <laughs> conferences and to organizations around the world and and having too much fun and like I said uh, working doing doing more traveling and uh, and such then probably I should be doing at this stage of my life <laughs> well that's all right as long as you're still having fun that's the important thing
0: um, but, but I think it's interesting cause, cause a couple of the different things that you just brought up there, maybe we can talk about a little bit more because I think you and I are completely aligned on this, that audit and risk are, are really focusing kind of on the negative, on the bad things. I mean, that's, that's all that they're kind of providing. And so it's hard for people to actually see the value and how they're really helping the organization achieve objectives if all you're doing is talking about these negative things that are usually down at a very low level as well. And, and, you know, you, you know, whether we talk about it as the big kid and the little kid table or other things like that, you know, that, that these functions often are not viewed as adding value even though they want to be, and they think they are, but they're not because, you know, again, how many chief audit executives, when you send them a message like that, does the CEO knock on your door 15 minutes later, right? That's an established level of trust. That really is a trusted advisor at that point, you know, where they realize, hey, you're not just gonna come to me and, and, and bitch and moan about whatever's not working right, but you actually have valuable information that can help the company. And so we have to elevate and get people to that point. And I know you've written and talked a lot about this over the years too, and kind of the whole idea of world-class auditing you know, as well, and, and trying to get out of some of these paradigms. How do, how do companies, you know, do that or make some of this mindset shift that they need to? Because I think, again, it, it starts with the executives that are running those functions as well, right? I mean, what do they need to do different to start showing more value and actually being that trusted advisor?
1: Well, I think it, it starts with that uh, slap around the head that uh, says, you're not an internal auditor, you're a business executive and your title and and the team that you lead is internal audit. But you've got to be thinking much more as a business executive. You've got to be thinking about the same things that the rest of the executive team are thinking about. If they're focusing on market share and how to grow market share, how to retain important customers, you've got to be thinking about that as well and how could you help them. What are the things that they not only don't want to happen, but need to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, what not only what could go wrong, but what needs to go right. Now, if we start thinking about those which we can call enterprise-level risks, risk to the achievement of the enterprise's objectives and what constitutes success, then we can start thinking about. Okay, now these are the things that need to happen or not happen. What is the company doing about that? What controls what uh, management of risk is there around those. Is the company actually aware of the, 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 the situation and the, the obstacles and potential opportunities in front of it. So just having some interesting discussions with management about how they are looking forward and uh, at, at what might happen, mm-hmm. what monitoring do they have? So they have reasonable intelligence, to know when things change and so they can take whatever actions are necessary either to seize an opportunity or to respond uh, to to something that's not going the way they want. And then what controls there are are over that. So, so for example, at that same company that I was just talking about, um, the company eventually failed because years and years ago, well before I was there, many years before, maybe 10 years before I was there, they had made a very bad decision. Uh, One of the core components actually at the core of their product um, was something that they strategically decided only to manufacture 40% in-house. 60% they relied upon a supplier in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. That supplier had many larger customers than we did, than us. And so they would, if there was a shortage, they would put us on allocation, mm-hmm. and they would raise their prices somewhat indiscriminately. Um, but that's only sixty percent. So forty percent, we're okay, right? We, we're manufacturing that ourselves. Except we decided, instead of doing what everybody else was doing and building a factory in Thailand or China or Vietnam, we built a factory in Northern California. So. Part of my thinking there was, okay, this is absolutely fundamental to success because our technology was actually ahead of our competitors, but our cost structure was behind. Yeah. So I started working with management about what are we doing? What can we do to streamline our costs and to move away from this high-cost environment Um, to to something else. So I I was actually spending a fair amount of my time, not on traditional internal auditing, Mm -hmm. but actually thinking about, okay, what can we do from a controls point of view in terms of monitoring the cost of our Northern California facility? What can we do for negotiations? What can we do in terms of buying alternate suppliers? What can we do in terms of actually going out and uh, finding an alternate location and building a factory to try and catch up so i was spending time thinking much more as an executive than from a traditional internal auditor point of view and i think that that's where the the world-class ceo is they think much more about the success of the organization and the assurance advice and insight three wonderful words assurance advice and insight Mm -hmm that internal audit can provide that'll help the organization succeed. And part of that is again, recognizing that what we should be focusing on is not historical risks, but the risks of today and tomorrow. Okay. Because that's where the company is managing is today and tomorrow, not history. And, and, and the traditional audit report that says, Oh my goodness, you screwed up. You, you, you paid, um, half a million dollars more on this than you should. Well, how does that affect the decisions of that the board is making today and tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Why can't we instead focus on how can we help them, maybe by, by giving them assurance on their current practices, their people, processes, and systems, but as it relates to what they're gonna be doing now and in the future. It, it comes back to a, a, a friend of mine, Alex, uh, Sidorenko, mm-hmm. uh, he's he's a Russian guy that uh, focuses on on risk management. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's now a consultant, and, and uh, he he's also quite a controversial thinker. <laughs> I know, uh, Alex. <laughs> yes. So he told me the story about uh, when he was the chief risk officer of a very large Russian trading financial trading organization. He went to the CEO and said. I want you to, to have a look at what I've done here. This is the assessment of the more significant risks facing the organization. And here's my reckon- my, my recommendation for a risk appetite statement. And the CEO turned to turned to him and said, See, Alex, this looks like high quality work and I'm sure it meets all of our regulatory and legal requirements, but it's not helping me make any of the decisions I have on my desk. hmm not going to change how I approach strategy or performance management or any of these tactical decisions I have in front of me. Why do 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 the stuff that's required? But do it as quickly as you can, and then spend your time helping me run the business. And that's where internal audit should be as well.
0: Yeah, so it's interesting because because yeah, I know Alex too, and it's because um, one of the concepts is we were talking one time about. Um, and, and I think this is applicable both for risk and for audit is what level are you auditing or managing risk at? And so, you know, like to like to that story with him and the CEO, the CEO was saying, yes, we have to do risk management. There's a lot of companies are doing it from a compliance standpoint, right? Somebody says we have to manage risk. So go put in a risk management framework so we can tell everybody we did it. Well, that's just managing you know, compliance of having a risk management program. It doesn't help in actually those strategic or tactical things that need to be done, but it's just seen as a cost of doing business, right? And we have to do that. And so that's why in the risk community, there's a lot of argument about, you know, what risk is and what framework you should use and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, look, if you're using risk for compliance, it almost doesn't matter what you do. Go check the boxes. But if you, if you want to do it from a strategic level that actually helps the business, then there's some different things you need to do. And, and as we're talking now, I'm almost seeing that internal audit, we've done the same thing to ourselves, right? As most of the time, I think if you looked at a lot of people's audit plan, they're auditing lower at the process level. They're not up at the strategic level where the executives were thinking. And so because of that, you know, it, it's it's like, well, so what are you guys doing for me? Well, you know, we did our Sarbanes-Oxley compliance testing and it's like big whoop de do, right? That's not going to help me make that decision about where to put the next factory. Um, I can check the box, but it it doesn't, it's not really what's on top of their mind.
1: No, and, and that's very important. But here's, here's a question for you, Jason, and for anybody else listening, okay? Uh, internal auditors talk about, how they have these serious issues. They find these serious issues, really high risk, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. How many times have you seen the full board having to discuss something brought up by internal audit? Um,
0: very rarely, very rarely. Because oh, the, 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 so the times that are popping in my head were like, you know, fraud and abuse issues with executives. Okay, that's going to get the full board involved. But yeah, most of the audits and the
1: reports that are put out,
0: the audit committee doesn't even read them.
1: You know, I mean, that's well, I'm not even if the audit committee pays appropriate attention to them. Yeah, they're not taking to the full board. No, the full board is where they're making decisions about strategy. The full board is where they're making decisions about investments in this initiative or that initiative, right? And and whether they need to change direction. Mm-hmm. But. They're not being discussed. They're not even being discussed at the management executive meetings. Right. They're being discussed by, but maybe by the CFO. Maybe if we're lucky, the COO. But they're being handled much more, as you say, buried further down in the organisation. Yeah. And, and, and I think that that's an indicator that we're not really doing the things, addressing the things uh, that would matter too the leaders of the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, well, cause I'll,
0: I'll, give you, I'll give you a story right, with, with that too. Yeah. Cause I, I was talking with the chief audit executive and he was asking me about, okay, I've got my audit plan and I've got to do my risk assessment for my audit plan. And we've got this new ERM group that's doing their risk assessment, right? But it's like, I don't know how to line into that or how to make, you know, cause what they're doing doesn't fit my need. And I'm like, time out, right? If you've got a strategic level, risk assessment that's done, that's already done. Your audit plan should be based on that, not on what you think is the higher risk, like three levels down in the organization. We should be doing things that the senior executives are talking about, those things that are on the board agendas. You know, That's where we should be focusing our effort instead of you know, payroll was misstated by 0.1% and that's $5 million on a multi-billion dollar company. It's like, nobody cares about that. They're worried about those things that are going to put you out of business next year or those strategic decisions that have to be made. And until I think we're involved in that process and helping out, we're always going to be seen as like a necessary evil in the organization instead of a true advisor that is providing assurance, advice, and insight. You know, you can't do all three if you're down at the low level.
1: Well, you can, but it just doesn't matter. Yeah, um, yeah okay, there you go. <laughs> the, the executives don't care, yeah. They the don't. executives don't care. So uh, I think there's there's two dimensions here. We, we can't we can't forget the, uh, the, the first one. And uh, that is like, if you're like foundational to me. Um, I remember <clears throat> as head of internal audit at uh, Tosco, I was there for 11 years and saw the company um, go from two billion in revenue to <coughs> to 28, mm-hmm. and I think it was ranked uh, 14, number 49 in, in the 14500 uh, 14 500 um, when it was when it was acquired. But um, in my second year, I asked the chairman of the audit committee how I was doing. I thought rather than just give him my own assessment, I'd just say how am I doing. And he said, Norman, you give us peace of mind. You give us the peace of mind that we can rely upon the people, processes, and systems of the organization to perform the way in which they should. And to actually uh, carry out what the board and top management want them to be doing. Mm -hmm. So there's some kind of confidence level that you need to have, if you like, in the engine that drives the organization that it is up to the task in general. And, and a lot of, and, I, and I, I mentioned people. There's a lot of people, a lot of internal auditors forget to think about, do we have the right people? And you know, Jack Welsh, former CEO of, of GE, uh, who turned the company around, was asked one time, uh, what are the, the top three concerns you have? Where do you spend most of your time? were the the most problems. He said, number one, people. Number two, people. Number three, people. And internal auditors don't spend enough time recognizing that most sources of problems arise from issues relating to people, whether the people at the lower level perform the controls who are not capable, don't have the training, or don't have enough people to do the work, which is a big problem, or whether the management team is actually functioning at the level that it should. Because that is, in many cases, that the root cause of many of the uh, tactical and strategic problems of an organization is is the leadership. But anyway, I think being able to provide assurance advice and insight, and insight is a wonderful word, and we could talk a long time just about insight. But providing that full range of our advice and and, and, and thinking um, so that management can do what's necessary to, to have an engine that's humming and, and working beautifully for the organization is important. The other side is essentially uh, making sure that internal audit is somehow embedded into where there's change so that we, we can actually be helping management to understand the risks the opportunities and to make sure they're all being properly addressed mm-hmm. because change is where most of the problems arise where there's more, more risk there's clearly more opportunity as well and 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 we should be making sure we're spending enough time on that one of the things i like to to do is ask the executives where they spend their time
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh sometimes that's that uh stuns them, and they have to take 10 or 15 minutes thinking about where they spend their time. <laughs> and that by Probably itself on is people, 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 right? Actually, yeah. it's fighting fires, but then you ask, <laughs> where are the fires? And you start coming back down to where their concerns are. Um, in one case, I had a, a, a wonderful conversation with a, a division CEO. He was, I think, number four or five in the company, a large global company. And he realized that one of his problems was he didn't trust uh, enough to delegate to his direct reports. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Now that's the, that's the sign of, you know, the conversations that got us to that point. Um, and the, my staff, um, listening to, see, that's another thing. We don't listen enough, Jason. We don't listen enough, um, we go in there we, we have our list of questions we ask, ask the questions get the answers and then don't listen we've got to have our whole brain our whole all of our senses attuned to what's going on so that we can provide all of the advice and insight we can to the organization anyway i'm getting a little bit uh, distracted <laughs> but the the point being is that we can be of enormous value to an organization, um, recognizing the affirmative and other cognitive biases that get in the way of people making intelligent decisions. Um, calling them out when they are, are, are not listening to the, to everybody who should be involved, or perhaps not uh, using all the information that's available. Uh, and, and as a result, perhaps, the processes behind their decision-making are are not as good as they should be. And therefore they, you know, I don't want to second guess their decision, but I can second guess their process.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because that's why I've, you know, I've spent over 20 years studying psychology for that, for that particular reason, because we, we do have these, these unconscious biases, um, other things like that. And you see this all the time from a risk management perspective or even a, a business and strategy perspective is people, people tend to make emotional decisions regardless of the logic and process they go through in advance, right? Because they, and, and if they go through a detailed process, they're usually manipulating the data to get the answer they want anyway. Okay. And so, and so you see this, especially in risk management all the time, all the time. And, and I think it's important, like you said, I mean, one of the big roles that audit can play is that sanity check, you know, of if you understand that, and if you have a work, a good working relationship where people trust you, then you can, you can just help explain that to people, right? Are you sure that's the decision that you want to make? Have you considered this and this and this as well? Um, you know, because if we don't, and like you said, you know, we need to listen more. That's why we have two ears and one mouth. You know, I was always taught we're supposed to actually listen and talk in that proportion too, Right? listen more, talk less because you're going to, you're going to pick up and you're going to learn things. And sometimes it, it goes completely different from where you, th- you think it might go, right? Like you were just talking about that division CEO and one of his problems was not delegating enough. Well, how's that going to show up in the business? It's going to show up in a lot of different risks in the business right, as well. And I think sometimes as auditors, we might look at that and say, well, so? Well, so if you have somebody who's not delegating, and depending on how else they act, imagine how those people risks in that area are going to be affected, right? Because that can get into all kinds of things with retention, turnover, you know, as far as, uh, you know, quality of work product, everything else. And those are probably kind of some non-traditional areas that nobody would think that's what an auditor should help by providing insight into those areas. But maybe it is, right? Because again, a lot of the big issues in organizations, it's people related. And especially when it's mid and upper management that it's people related issues, things can go sideways very, very quick. I mean, you know, you've seen it in your career, I've seen it in mine, but you have, a couple of bad apples, if you will, at, at an executive level, and it can take a company down very, very quickly.
1: Yeah, I, I worked with one, com- one company where the CEO was a bully, and um, he actually challenged his direct reports to work on the same project mm-hmm. in competition with each other. And that infected, and, and that's the right word, infected the entire organization. It was like a a virus of mistrust and um, internal competition that Mm -hmm. eventually caused that company to fail. Um, But coming back, there's a a couple of things here. So coming back to the analogy of ears and eyes, Mm -hmm. ears and talking and and, and listening, um, one of the things I talk about, Jason, is that um, we should use our mouth less, our ears more, but we should also not... Not um, underestimate the power of our eyes and what we see. Mm -hmm. But most important, and most many internal audit heads don't do this, is use the space in between your ears. (laughs) What that that, that, encourage encourage and develop the the space in between the ears of of your of your staff. I remember one time at, uh, at Tosco, I went out there and uh, one of my people, Michael, who um, was an audit manager, and he had his head down and his eyes closed. Now, some people will jump on him and say, why are you sleeping? I said, are you okay? I said, Michael said, I'm just thinking about what I just heard. I said, congratulations. Right? Because we, especially when we hire people out of public accounting, or even some of the consulting firms—they're trained not—they're trained to not think, yeah. Just do what you're told, follow the audit program. Well, the audit program might possibly be the right thing to do in the past, but things have changed, and I really want to, to encourage everybody to think for themselves. Uh, okay, you may come up with a, with an answer that I don't like, but it challenges all of us to to think collectively and do more. The other thing, Jason, is when it comes to, to risk and taking a, uh, the perspective of being a business executive is we've got to recognize, and uh, this internal auditors are going to hate this, but sometimes it's right to take a risk. Yes, it is. And <clears throat> there are times when not only should we be identifying that there's a risk which is, quote, high or higher than we would like it to be, but it's the right thing to do. And maybe even sometimes we should be telling management to take more risk mm-hmm. uh, because it's right for the business. I, I totally stunned uh, my audit committee at Tosco. We went in, I was part of, I, I worked with with one of my uh, auditors on this because I've got an IT audit background as well. Mm-hmm. And we we looked at the information security at our California data center and we identified that they really didn't they had part of it reasonably well secured but a major part of it was there was no security system hardly anything at all and it would be fairly easy to breach it and i went into told and went into the audit committee and i told them that this was a significance issue and there could be this and there could be this that actually flowed out of that I didn't just talk about it and said it's high i said this is how it affects the business mm-hmm. it could affect them which is what what it should be doing, not just say it's high, but how could it affect the business and, and its objectives? So I did that. But then when it comes to action, I said, I recommend you don't do anything about it.
0: <laughs> and they're like, <laughs>
1: what? <laughs> they were like, it, what? And I said, because the company is in the process over the next six months to nine months, is going to be closing this data center and moving everything to a new data center with new systems in New Jersey. So it simply doesn't make business sense to invest in new people or, or technology tools to upgrade the security here, when everything's going to be have to be thrown away when we go to New Jersey, and that, that stunned them. But I don't think, inter- and I think that internal auditors need to be doing that. They need to be thinking about, well, if I if if I owned the business, what would I do? Would I do this, um, and would I do something different? The, the other thing is that we're we're so quick to make a recommendation instead of uh, working with management to understand the true risk to the organization, come to a joint agreement as to what that is, not them agreeing with us because we're the auditors, but actually having a discussion, and then collaborating and figuring out what's the right solution. Um, A lot of internal auditors lose that trust because they may come up with a good assessment, but then they say, here's our recommendation, Agree or disagree yeah well, no, I, a common you know the right solution
0: and I think that is
1: one of the biggest things that
0: auditors need to get better at uh, for for a lot of reasons you know um, you know the one like you said having that collaboration <coughs> excuse me it's kind of it's funny because effectively auditors sometimes are talking out of both sides of their mouth and so what I mean is like that you know they go through this they come up with a recommendation for how they think it should be done. They pose it to management. Management doesn't accept it. And then they walk back away and they're like, I don't understand why they don't value me and why they don't think that what we're doing is that this was a best practice that I, that I recommended to them. Right. And it's like, well, you're telling them how they have to run their business. And just step back for a minute and think about that. If somebody comes to you and tells you how you have to live your life, How are you going to feel towards them? Right. But that's effectively what you're doing much better instead of providing a recommendation or telling somebody how to do it of actually sitting down and saying, Hey, look, we found this issue. This is kind of the risk. It seems like it kind of impacts the business this way. What do you think? You know, how do you think we should actually, you know, work to try to change this going forward because you know, auditors make the recommendation and then they're mad that, that the owner doesn't take accountability for the controls themselves. And it's like, well, it's a control you, you told me I had to do. I'm not going to take accountability or responsibility for that. But if they develop it and they think that's the right decision and it's the right business decision, then you're going to also have buy-in with them, but you've also strengthened that relationship, right? So instead of telling somebody what they have to do, you're helping them come to a solution on their own.
1: So, Jason, uh, a couple of weeks ago on my blog, um, I wrote that internal auditors, when they find an issue, they should actually talk to management. And, and by, by the way, I said, never go talk to anybody to go to listen. Um, but I said, you, you should have a discussion about what the issue is and then ask them what they think should be done. And I got bombarded with people, internal auditors saying, you can't do that. That's... That's not being objective. That's not being independent. We can't let them <laughs> come up with a solution. We, we, we're losing our credibility if we don't come up with ideas. They're looking for us to us for ideas and, and, and suggestions. And if it makes it sound like we don't know what to do, then we're losing credibility. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. This is wrong. And that comes back down to another fundamental attitude adjustment which is that internal auditors need to stop thinking about the audit report as being their product. The product of their of, of their work should be the change mm. that is being affected. Or if in fact, if you like, the quality of the processes. So the better the quality of the processes, the better they're doing. It's not and, and if they need to be changed, it's actually making the right change for the business. It's not the report. And and and, and, and it, it's interesting, it's, it's, as you know, the, the standards is actually do not require an audit report.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They only communicate. And I don't think we do enough sitting down with um, leadership and having a discussion, a dialogue. A report is a one-way communication. Mm-hmm. And it's not really an effective communication. It's something you throw at them and maybe they'll catch it and maybe it'll go over their head uh, or down at their feet. But if you actually sit down and have a dialogue where they can ask you questions about what you found and why you think it's important, you can have a discussion about their perspective and and, and you can come out and talk, what is right for the business? It's so much more helpful. <laughs> So, Jason, uh, I, I, I surprise people with audit audit documentation, okay? Because I say I don't review audit documentation. In fact, I'm not even sure how much value there is in audit documentation because you can't necessarily reuse it next time because everything's changed. Yeah. Um, and, and you're not going to get sued in most cases, so you don't need to have support to prove you're right. I prefer to actually sit down and have a discussion with the auditor and hear from them what they looked at, why they looked at it, what they found, what they didn't find, and have a discussion that way to as, as my review of the audit and what it means to the business. And then I think turning that and having the auditor and myself then have a discussion, and myself only is necessary, have a discussion with our customer, the people we're trying to help, and that's not a joke. We are really trying to help them, <laughs> um, and when they believe it, we're getting there. Yeah. Um, that's that's our that's uh, what we should be looking at. Is is not the report? I mean, look. If if something needs to be said, if something needs to be done, why are we waiting a day, let alone weeks? to get an audit report out. Mm -hmm. So if we're actually discussing it and action is being taken properly, the audit report is what? Documentation that we had the discussion is a way of talking to the audit committee about what they need to know. And by the way, that's another thing that I write about, which is what does the audit committee and the CEO actually need to know? Mm -hmm. What do they need to know? They need to know answers to just a f- two or three questions. Is everything okay? Is there anything I need to do? Or if I don't need to do anything, is there anything I need to monitor to make sure it's done? Mm-hmm. And I don't need the rest of this stuff that's in this well, it, volume of... They're
0: not going to read a 50-page report anyway.
1: <laughs> so. why, should, why, should you even, why should you even ask them to read a one-page report, yeah. when you can you can answer it and uh, you, you, you can address the information needs by saying, we did this audit to derivatives and everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Isn't that all they need to know? If yeah. it's not fine, you need to tell them why it matters to them and whether there's anything they need to do.
0: Yep, or anything they need to monitor. Because, again, if you or come if up with agreements with other people, then maybe from an executive perspective, I need to follow up and make sure they actually do it. But I I think it's interesting when you, when you're talking about the, the response you got from the auditors about, oh, well, we have our independence and all the objectivity, but, but the irony of, of that whole thing of, of giving the recommendation, right, is by telling them how to do it and then having them implement it, you're actually less independent less objective because next time when you come in and you audit it, it's going to be the control you suggested, not the one that they, right? And so I'm sure you've, you've seen this like I have in my career, right? Somebody goes in to make a recommendation. The next year you come back and you make a recommendation in that same process. And you're like, you know, why are you doing it this way? Well, cause you told us to do it this way last year. Well, no, 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 that's not the right way to do it. You should do it this other way now you know and so i think having that discussion with people and and the collaboration and actually coming up with the right solution is 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 the safer way actually for us to be more independent and objective
1: too i don't care if we're independent or ob- i care if we're objective yeah okay i care if we're objective um, but it, but as long as we're helping the organization do what is right what is the the right thing not only ethically and morally but right for performance and achieving its objectives, that's fine and, you know, it's it's it, it's often the case where people will write a standard, internal standard that says, if you do a consulting engagement, you can't do an assurance engagement to that same area mm-hmm. because you're helping them develop procedures and, and, and implement the right controls, say, of a new computer system. Well, you can't later have the same person do an assurance audit because of your invested in those you in in what you've worked on well as you said any assurance engagement if you find something wrong you're working with management even if it's in partnership and collaboration you're still working with them and agreeing with what they believe is necessary to do yeah that should not affect your ability to to be objective next time Uh, maybe things have changed maybe you realize that perhaps it wasn't the right thing and that therefore we need to to be to stand up and say, mea culpa, mm-hmm. I got it. wrong. Maybe there was a better way and, and this is the better way forward. And and we should constantly be less worrying about proving our value and more worried about having management recognize our value.
0: Yeah. Well, because it's, it's show me. Show me instead of tell me. Right. And, and I, again, I think we see that a lot where, auditors are trying to tell people I'm valuable. I know if I don't make the recommendation, right, then I'm not seen as being credible where that doesn't go very far. You know, if I tell you I am the best at this, right, doesn't mean anything until you actually show it. And, and so actually, you know, doing and being, you know, what we're supposed to be is going to be a much easier way of having other people then see that we're providing value as opposed to telling them that we provide value.
1: Being a trusted advisor is something you earn. Yeah. And you earn it by being trusted to use good judgment, business savvy and your intelligence and also your creativity and imagination to come up with uh, helping them find the right way, the better way to run the business. Um, I, I'm, I'm less hung up, Jason, on telling as, as much as, if they ask me, if, if, if they say, I don't know what to do, then I'm happy to come up with some suggestions and tell them that, well, this is what I've seen, and it seemed to work previously uh, very, very well. At uh, my last company, this is what we did, and, and I really like that. And I have no hesitation in doing that whatsoever. I've done that so many times. I, I, I couldn't even start to count how many times that's happened, and that's that's nothing wrong with that. If they say, "Well, I'm planning to do this," and you say, "Well, you know, I've seen that before, and this is why it didn't work. Maybe it'll be different here, but hear me out. This is my experience." Um, that's still telling in a way, but it's 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 what's appropriate to to the to the business. One of the things which um, we need to, to work on whether it be internal audit or risk management or any other member of management is people do things when they recognize it's in their own best interest to do it. Mm-hmm. And if we can get people to want to make the change because they can see the value in it to them, not, not to internal audit, not to a compliance checklist, but of some value to them, then they're going to want to do it. And once they want to do it, they're probably going to do it better and will have more assurance that they'll do it. Mm-hmm. But it still comes back down to this, this overall thing of we really are there to help them, but not necessarily help. We don't focus on helping individuals as much as we're helping the organization. And if we are thinking about, well, what's the organization trying to do? What are our objectives for the next quarter, year, two year, what needs to go right? What could go wrong? Now, how can we help the organisation succeed by looking at some of these areas where perhaps there's some weakness and some fragility? Uh, maybe our, for example, consulting support on on risk management or or uh, new systems implementation could increase the likelihood of success mm-hmm. uh, maybe there's something they want to do or they want to have assurance that the company is going to be able to do that uh, it's going to have the capability of, of moving into this new market whatever it is so i think that if we if we raise our our vision up then we'll raise our performance and we'll raise our value
0: yeah well i think that's probably the 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 biggest thing that I'm, that I'm kind of seeing too, and maybe that's how we can kind of wrap this up, but you know, whether it's risk or whether it's internal audit, I think right now, um, we've been too far down in the organization and need to somehow elevate and get back up to that strategic level to the things that really do matter to running the business, to, to, to the executives, you know, because like you said, ask them what they're concerned about. What are they focusing on? What are they doing? we should be finding ways to try to help with that. Um, Not just the compliance checkbox kind of stuff on the bottom, because until you get up to that level, people aren't going to, going to see you as that valued advisor and you won't have the CEO knocking on your door 15 minutes after you send him an email, unless you're dealing with and providing that
1: insight on the things that he's really concerned about. Right. Right. So it's, We've got to stop asking what keeps you up at night because they never tell the truth. They, they, don't, talk, they don't tell you about, well, is it, that meal that I made, ate last night. Or my <laughs> they don't, that's not what they say. They point to somebody else or some other part of the organization and say, that's what keeps me up at night. It's better to, to, to say, okay, what are you trying to achieve over the next period? Mm-hmm. Now, what needs to happen or not happen for you to achieve that? How confident are you in that? Are there any areas where you're a little, bad, a little bit less sure than you'd like to be, you'd like to increase your confidence of success? Now, let me think about how I can help you with those. Recognizing that the actual auditing may be down in the detail level, but what we're doing is, when we go to a particular factory or business unit, we're auditing the activities and related controls at that location, which feed into what needs to happen at the entity level. So you've got these things which happen, enterprise level risks, but the controls over them and the activities, related activities, are actually within a factory, uh, geography, relationship with a partner, supplier. And so when we audit, so for example, if we audited Shanghai operations, we would audit what happens in Shanghai operations that is critical to
0: the enterprise
1: thing. objectives, the bigger picture. We don't audit what is risk, the, the higher risk to Shanghai itself. We audit what happens in Shanghai, which relates to the enterprise as a whole. Uh, so there's a big adjustment in, in many ways. Um, and even, even once we redesign, the CAE the uh, is thinking, mm-hmm. um, maybe with through a slap in the head, so they're thinking large instead of small. Even if we change the audit communications, so they're telling management to the board what they need to know instead of what the auditor wants to say, you still got to staff the audit department or the risk function with the people who can deliver that, yeah. who have not just the CPA or CIA qualification, but the, the brain power and the ability to use it to deliver the value that you're looking for.
0: Yeah, and I think I, I see that as one of the big changes in audit as well going forward is the, is the staffing and structuring of departments will change because as we get clear on that different kind of work, and it's going to be at a higher level, which means we're probably going to have to have higher level thinkers in the group as well that don't have the traditional background um, that they have had coming up through finance or other places like that. Um, yeah, we still got a lot of work to do, but if we want to get to that point to where people really view us as truly adding value to the organization, as really being a trusted advisor, we have to change what we're doing because what we're currently doing ain't working. And so if you keep doing that, It still ain't going to work. You got to do something different if you want different results, right? The same level of consciousness that created the problem cannot fix the problem and doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results is what Einstein called insanity. And, um, so we've just got to, you know, go out there make some of these changes that we've talked about and, uh, start heading down that route because I'm sure it feels a lot better to be working with a CEO that knocks on your door 15 minutes after you send him an email, than somebody that will never get back to you. (laughs) You can never, you know, harangue him to get even five minutes with them to talk about something. It's just a totally different feel um, in, in, you know, your personal career satisfaction and everything else. Plus you're actually then really providing the value back to the organization that aspirationally we want to do. But in order to do that, we've got to do things different. So,
1: Absolutely. That may mean taking some risks along the way because we've got to start, <laughs> off, with, got to start off with what are we trying to achieve? and yeah. we trying to achieve this idea of being a trusted advisor or delivering the assurance, advice, and insight that's necessary and helping them succeed? Now, let's forget all the stuff we've ever done before. Traditional auditing, the, even the IIA standards. Now, think about how we're going to do that. Okay, so recognizing again, I know we're going over time here, Jason, but recognizing (laughs) again that we live in a dynamic, turbulent world. Mm -hmm. Can we continue to do two or three month audits when everything is changing fast? Are we actually focusing in on the things that matter, or are we spending our time doing stuff where Even if we find anything, it would never matter. And if we are auditing stuff, if we have things on the the audit plan and in the audit scope, where even if we found something, it would never matter to senior management and leadership. It would never affect any of the strategic decisions. Why are we doing it? Because there are so many things that do matter, Mm -hmm. but we have to really think about what's the best way of getting there? How can we have more agility? How can we have more responsiveness? How can we have um, the courage to point out the, the elephant in the room? Um, <laughs> I so think that's, me, that's one
0: of the big keys is having the courage to actually do it instead of right. just being safe in our, little, in our little corner.
1: So one of the things that uh, I encourage you and everybody else to, to think about is there's a song, by Sarah Bareilles, one of my favorite singers, and it's called Brave. Say what you need to say. Mm-hmm. Have the courage to say it. And people respect that. Mm-hmm. Our inability to, to point to the elephant and say, so for example, we'll go into an area the bank reconciliation is not being done. <laughs> okay. So our recommendation is do the bank reconciliations.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, the bank reconciliations are not being done because there aren't enough people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But we're not saying anything about, oh, we, I mean, oh, my goodness, heaven forbid that we should ever say they don't have enough people. Mm-hmm. Because in terms, I mean, when's the last time you ever heard of an internal auditor saying you don't have enough people? Or you're hiring people without the qualifications necessary to do the job. Or even worse, you will never get the people you need at that salary range.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've had to have those discussions. That's the truth. Going. Yeah.
1: That's the yeah. truth. If you're asking people to do expert jobs, but paying them 20% less than you need to attract that kind of quality person, you're never going to get that kind of, um, of quality people.
0: Very yeah. true. Well, I had the same exact discussion with another company that wanted to be innovative, but they were also using the 20% less pay. So never going to attract those people if you're not willing to pay them, which goes back to internal audit as well. That again, as we're going to try to up level, that means we're going to have to, again, probably hire different resources that are going to be able to do some of these other things that we're not used to doing. And so again, we got to figure out how that is because if we truly want to add value, we've got to be able to show the value and do the things that really matter for the executives. So, Wise, wise words, my friend. I always love talking to you. (laughs) All right. Well, hey, thanks. Thanks for uh, talking to me today. And uh, really, really appreciate it.
1: All right. And you can find me at, uh, was it normanmarks.wordpress.com?
0: normanmarks.wordpress.com. That's where all the blogs are at. And he's all over LinkedIn too. So you can find him, connect with him, and uh, see all the great stuff that he is talking about all the time. So, all right. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Jamming with Jason. Keep on rocking in the audit world. Have a great rest of your day, and I'll catch you later on the next show. If you'd like to earn continuing professional education for listening to today's episode, head on over to Risk Academy at ondemand.criskacademy.com. And that's C as in the letter C, riskacademy.com. Not only do you get a CPE certificate, but you also will have access to the video version of today's show. The views and opinions expressed on this show are that of the individuals and not of their respective organizations.